How are we doing? We're good? All right. Well, folks, uh, we're kicking off a new series, The Front Line. Uh, six weeks looking at what does it mean to put on the armor of God. Um, the inspiration behind this, before we talk about our little friend here, uh, the inspiration behind it was just, I don't know, I think Kevin and I just having some discussions and, and being a part of your lives and sometimes wondering if post-resurrection we still fall into this thought pattern that a relationship with Jesus is solely about help me endure the beating. Uh, just, you know, help me have the little six inches of my life that's left because uh, life or circumstances or people have taken everything else from me, so I just have this little stretch of, of, of dirt to, to play on, and then help me just keep my hands above my face to not get knocked unconscious, just help me to kind of keep moving. And I think what we really were hoping and we're praying happens over the next six weeks is yes, absolutely a relationship with Jesus and the armor of God. There is a defensive element to it. Some of you walk through this life, and man, you feel like you've just been getting pounded uh, for weeks and weeks or months and months and years and years, and there is an element to having the courage to take another step in God giving you what you need to endure, but there's also an offensive weapon, and I think we forget that, that Jesus and a relationship with Jesus is also a means of taking back parts of your life and taking back territory that the enemy has taken from you via guilt or shame or some kind of trauma that you've dealt with, some kind of issues in your past, um, that you're able to begin to march forward um, in confidence that you have Jesus Christ with you and you're not alone. And so on the heels of, of the resurrection and, the, and on, when it's so clear in our minds that Christ has defeated sin, death, and Satan, that Christians should be on the move, not on their heels with their eyes shut and their hands above their head waiting for the next problem, okay? So that's what we wanted to get into, and Kevin had this awesome idea. Kevin was like, dude, what if we dressed up like a mannequin, and then we have like another one that looks like evil? And so I don't know why, but I ordered all of the stuff for a Roman soldier first, thinking the mannequin part will be easy. I don't know why I thought that, because the mannequin part, in fact, is very hard to pull off. And I quickly found out, like, I was, I was kind of in a pinch, like, a little over a week ago. Mallory's like, listen, Josh, just ask on Facebook for a mannequin. And then it hit me, there's no not weird way to do that. I'm looking for a full-bodied male mannequin, bring it to my house. Trust me, it's for church. Like, I didn't know what I was going to do. Like, I'm on a group text message with my street, and I know I set the gospel back a good six months, okay? Because I'm like, hey, everybody, anybody have a mannequin? And then I thought, I've never walked in anyone's home. I'm like, hey, nice mannequin. What kind of person owns a mannequin? I mean, I, I've, been, I've been deep in mannequin culture, okay? That's all I'm saying. And then Tavares had a great idea. He's like, dude, let's just order like 100 and fill this bad boy up, okay? And like, whatever. Like, some of them will just be kind of stoic. Some will just praise the whole time, no matter what. They're just on board. Like, it would have been awesomely weird. And I have grown up in Houston my whole life, and you all, there's like a bunch of, even in the 8 a.m., they're like, oh, yeah. So I, I looked up, uh, one of our members was like, Josh, this is a place that sells mannequins on the cheap. And I'm like, they sure do, cheaper than everyone on planet Earth. What a deal. I was like, Tavares, let's go pick it up. So I look it up, and it's on a place called Harwin Street. Oh, there it is. Look at that. Okay. Well, I'm the weirdo. Sorry, I came from Mars. My bad. Okay, so we roll up into this place, and I see to my right Purse World and, like, Dress Planet, 
And I walk in, and there's, they sell digital signs and mannequins. And uh, then they sit me around back to get my mannequin. And then I left, and I told Tavares, I'm like, this is the weirdest experience I've ever had. So um, literally everyone on our team has walked into my office and has been frightened one time or another because they think there's a real human being standing there. So this is our buddy, okay? Uh, we've, we've named him Manny, okay? And he will be our, uh, our model for the week. I thought maybe he's a Roman soldier. We could name him Romo, but Kevin, loving the Packers, uh, would just be tempted to tackle him for six straight weeks. So we're just going to go with Manny, all right? And what I'm hoping is you will begin to see the depth of actually what Paul's talking about, what he actually had to say. What does it mean, the armor of God? And so um, I'm gonna, we're going to fly through this text, Ephesians 6, and then we're just going to focus on one verse and what can we take from it this morning. Because I want to remind you of a few things. We're going to bookend our time together with these same idea. You are a child of God. You are a child of God that is not negotiable, that doesn't change no matter what you've done, whatever you've been through, whatever has happened. You are a child of God. Your heavenly Father loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He even likes you. Even when you don't like you. He loves you. He likes you. And there's only one God. And there's no one like him. There's no one like him. All right? So we're going to pray and then let's dig in, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for uh, this day. And we are all, we all got stuff. We all have challenges. And we know, uh, and if we didn't know, we'll find out soon enough that when we put on the armor of God, there is a battle awaiting us. And it's not just in flesh and blood, but it is spiritual forces and powers. So God, guide us, fill us, grow us, Jesus, throughout the next six weeks. Some of us, it's to take back a part of our life that someone else took from us years or even decades ago. Some of us, it's to take back a part of our life that is gripped by fear and anxiety and worry. Maybe it's our finances, maybe it's our health, but God, you call us to get in the fight. And so God, do an incredible work over the next six weeks, Jesus. We love you so much. Amen. Ephesians 6, verse 10. Here we go. Finally, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our, trouble, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly realms, verse 13, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, 
words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an, an, an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Verse 14 is where we're going to hang out today. The belt of truth buckled around your waist. This is the first garment that has to be put on. Okay? Now, the best way I can explain what Paul, why he would do this, is there's one very central, important idea of why he would go to this link to help us understand the armor of God in the Christian life, okay? So this past week, this is a weird like mannequin-themed thing, okay? I wasn't planning it, it's just how it worked out. My daughter has these little mannequins, okay? And this cloth that you can like dress up the mannequin and like, like put little clothes on the mannequin. And I realized as a dad, I can't just play in the dirt, throw stuff, and play trains with my three-year-old. Boy, okay? I gotta do girl stuff, okay? We have tea parties, gotta, you know, just push through it. So I said, listen, Emerson, Let's have a fashion show with your little mannequin things. And she was so pumped, she cleaned her room. I'm like, this is how I got to roll. We got to do this all the time. It was spotless. So there's her little mannequins. I said, what we're going to do is we're going to dress up the mannequins, and then we're going to send pictures to your mom of what we did. So she was in hog heaven. So I did mine first, okay? Here it is. Mine was called the daddy, okay? And uh, the daddy of, I mean, I tried to make it a little bit classier than it actually is. Uh, it's really hard to pin them on the back, but this was daddy's design. And she was so impressed. She was like, wow, daddy, now I want to try, okay? And so then this is called the Emerson. I said, uh, Emmy, um, her, her ninnies, we call them ninnies, by the way. <laughs> I said, her ninnies aren't covered, without even skipping a beat. Oh, I never cover the ninnies, Daddy. <laughs> Which then hit me, we need to change that, that thinking relatively soon, okay? I'll let you slide your five, okay? But very, very soon, we need to have a very different attitude about covering the ninnies. I'm just saying, okay? And here's the thing, right? It matters what you cover. It does. It just does. I don't care if it's that. Okay, you guys, it's distracting me even. I don't know. Go to another slide. My poor daughter. Like, there's only like two or three more years of material, and then I, she's actually going to be sitting in here, and I can't do this to her. Okay? It actually matters what you cover, and that's what you're going to see. You're going to hear that if you don't put on the, the belt of truth, there's nowhere for the sword of God's word to stay. You want to put on the breastplate of righteousness? You're all about covering your heart and protecting your heart, but then you don't want to put the, a helmet on? So whatever you put in your head, what's it going to do to your heart? So everything that you're going to hear Paul talk about is very, very strategic. And if you do half the job, it's to your detriment in this field of battle. You're up against an enemy that does not quit and does not stop. It wants no prisoners. It wants to drag you to hell. And if it can't do that, it will try to make your life a living hell. It'll take either one. So it matters what you cover, right? So here's what I want you to know, and this is with Paul's analogy. I didn't know this, but like tunics were the rage 2,000 years ago. They actually saw pants and shorts as being kind of feminine, all right? And it wasn't until the Roman Empire expanded into regions that were cold 
they went over to, to, to like tights. Then they were like, okay, we'll wear some tights, okay? But other than that, like this is how a dude, he'd wear a tunic. And this belt had strategic reasons. It would help, um, thick leather strips would help protect kind of the, the thighs of the soldier as well. But then it would play a role in where you would keep your sword. If you don't have this on, you have lost already the only offensive weapon that you have, okay? And so what, what Paul would say is, number one, okay, it starts with this idea that truth exists. That's what he's trying to say, number one. You live in a culture that does not want truth to be absolute and to exist. And his first point is, you have to start with that idea, that singular idea, that there is something called truth. It does exist, and it is absolute. There's no getting around it. And his point is already, if you take that and remove that, then we're just, we're just talking about armor then. Your armor's your armor, my armor's my armor. You want to wear that, you don't need to wear that. You like that, but you don't dig the other thing. It's fine then, see? And his point was, this is where this all starts. This other idea is that this belt is about being ready biblically. Even Jesus would talk about it. It, it is associated with being constantly ready for the battle at hand. You keep your belt on. You're ready for whatever's about to happen. I don't know about you, but I've been, I was just telling our Bible class this. I've been in scenarios where you're just having like a nice conversation with someone. And then it just gets kind of weird. And it gets dark. And all of a sudden they mention something that can put you on your heels as a Christian. Maybe it's an actual attack against your faith. Or maybe it's an attack against something that you believe in, that you hold dear as a follower of Jesus. And all of a sudden you're kind of caught without your belt on. I'll just give you this, and that happens to me more times than I'd like to admit. I'll just give you this. For me personally, all right, there's times when that happens to me, I'm like catching every fourth or fifth word because all I'm doing in that moment is praying because I know uh, that belt is somewhere. Where is it? Uh, and I'm like, I already have someone coming at me, and I'm trying to figure out, like, get myself centered again because it's a spiritual conversation, and I wasn't ready. And that may happen to you at times too. So it's, a, it's this understanding that this is with readiness. Finally, um, it's not relativistic. See? It, this isn't like, oh, well, you can put it around his neck. That's good. You know what? You don't like it around the waist. You can put it over his shoulder. Okay, that's fashionable. It's not relativistic. It has one area that it goes. And if you notice, his other analogy that he goes with is it surrounds everything. Everywhere you look is surrounded by this idea of truth. You live this out in your life every day in the human experience. There is absolute truth. You realize you can be standing next to an atheist who says there is no God. And if you're going to really, truly go with the atheist worldview, there, there is, not only is there no God, there's no meaning behind any of this. We are a freak accident of cells that collide, okay? And you know what? What's weird in the human experience is absolute truth still rises to the surface because a follower of Jesus can be standing right next to a denier of Jesus, an absolute atheist, and they can watch a collective group of cells moving at over 300 miles an hour into another collective group of cells at about the 90th floor, I don't know, 20 years ago, let's say. And you know what? They both have the same experience. <gasps> oh my, what just happened? Even the atheist suddenly recognizes that there's intrinsic value 
in what just happened. He's not numb, or she's not numb to that experience. There's things even within the human experience that point us to that life in and of itself has a source and has value and meaning. We experience that every day. It's not relativistic. That's the other thing. It's all around us and different than the Word of God and what you see here. And I think we have to be really clear on this. Different than the Word of God and truth, this was at least fashionable once. Like 2,000 years ago, this is what you wore. But can I just tell you folks, when you put this on, this is never in style. We spend an awful lot of effort and energy trying to make it cool and to dress it up and to cinch it. And if we change the color, you know, the fact of the matter is, when you have the view that Jesus is the one and only God and you enter into a world, it's never been fashionable and it never will be fashionable. You will always be, to some degree, in one way or another, at odds with your culture. You just have to embrace that. At least this, at some time, looked cool. But from the beginning of Jesus' ministry to now, you're immediately put on the outskirts of culture and society, okay? And this has a lot to do with the worldview even 2,000 years ago. Socrates, Plato, the whole Roman Empire was really governed by this, what's true for you is not true for me. Maybe what's true for me doesn't have to be true for you. They played that same game that we do now. They had laws, of course, in place. A lot of laws that was governed and helped guided our country as well. But in terms of personal human behavior, it was just kind of laissez-faire. So this whole idea, right, as long as you participated in the public worship services 2,000 years ago, no one really pushed a lot of this is what it looks like for absolute truth. This is what the, the early church was stepping into. So what I want you to think about is what this means for you to walk around with absolute truth and what that means when you're up against a really, really dark force. Satan and all of hell lined up against you. You know, they call Satan the father of lies. But if you know anyone that's ever been a truly fantastic liar, I mean like they're a great, a lot of you are like, yeah, yep, I know, yep, several of them. Uh, maybe you're related to one. I don't know, okay? All right, you have someone who's an amazing liar. Are they crazy sometimes? Sure, okay? There's also amazing liars that are amazing liars because they have mastered the truth. The best liars know the truth. And what makes them great at lying is they know exactly how to tweak the truth. Yes, Satan is the father of lies, but he's also the father of half the truth. He knows exactly how to twist it. It would be kind of like saying, hate the sin and hate the sinner. Just a little bit. Just enough. And that's the game he attempts to play with Jesus. When Jesus is just hungry. He, he's baptized. Jesus goes out into the wilderness. The Spirit leads him out in the wilderness. And there he has this standoff with Satan. And Satan plays the same game with Jesus that he's playing with each and every one of us in this room, every last one of us. He's got three tactics, okay? So check it out. The first thing he does is he recognizes that there's a need in Jesus' life. He's hungry. And he says, if you're the Son of God, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Well, what is he going after? He's going after Jesus' identity. If you are who you say you are. Now think about that in your own life. 
How often have you sat here and struggled with, are you a child of God? Are you really his kid? Really? I mean, if you did that, and you said that, and you lived that way, and you had this happen, and you went through that, remember the time you did that? I mean, are you really a Christian? His first attack is identity. Don't let it pass on you as you're observing our culture. The seismic shift of all things identity. That isn't new. That's 2,000 years old. And so that's his first move. Can he get you to question your core identity? Or can he get you to water it down? Are you a child of God? Yes, I'm a child of God and a Republican. Yes, I'm a child of God and a Democrat, right? And, can he, and now all of a sudden, maybe if we can just, just shift just a little bit, just a little bit, Okay, a handful of worldviews that we can just kind of work real nice and easy into being a child of God so that it's kind of like Jesus plus. See? Just get you to tweak it just a smidge. That's the first thing he does. And Jesus hits him back immediately with truth. The next thing he does is he comes at him this way. He says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. And what he begins to say is, listen, the father, right? He loves you. You've, you've stated that. He'll... He'll catch you. You don't have to worry about it. Just throw yourself down. It's good. So what's the next thing that Satan goes after? And he does it with you. Your relationship to the Father. If he can't get you to question your identity, maybe he can get you to question, is God all-powerful? And if God is all-powerful, maybe he just lacks love for you. Or maybe he does love you. He just lacks the power to do anything for you within your life. He'll go after your relationship to the Father. That's the exact same thing he did to Jesus. And Jesus hits him back yet again with absolute truth, the word of God. Finally, Satan takes him up to a high place, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, you know what, why don't you just bow down and worship me? Satan's last move is just to get the affections of our hearts turned into worship of anything else other than Jesus. That's his last move. Make anything else in this life consume our thoughts, our desires, our worship. If he can just get us to tweak it just for a moment and to find ourselves in worship of something else that consumes us, that distracts us, that steals our joy, our purpose, our mission. So it's the same thing three-pronged attack once you put this on that comes your way. And so I, I, I want to leave you with just a, a very simple idea because even pastors fall prey to this, okay? Because if you're tired enough, long enough, okay? If you've been in enough of a battle for enough time, you know, I, there, there's a reality. I don't care if it was the Spartans, Roman soldiers, Civil War, Vietnam, Anything that's happened since then, studies have shown we try to rename it, we try to give it different titles, we try to talk about it differently, but no matter how you want to slice it, for thousands of years in recorded history, every kind of warrior and soldier reached a point where they were weary from the battle. Even the Spartans, the movie 300, the real guys, not the guys that are photoshopped, okay, but like the real dudes, the real life guys, reached a point where they could no longer take any more bloodshed. They couldn't handle it. And that's historical. 
And what did they have to do? They had to get a little R&R. They had to get away. They had to get some rest. And you're no different once you put this on. You can only take so much of a beating as a follower of Jesus on the front lines to where you will eventually give in. You will do something to make it stop. In real war, they would just shoot themselves in the foot. Anything to get me off the front line. Why? Because you're going to go crazy. So there's two things for you to understand. Once you put this on, you're a part of a unit. You're a part of a community. You're part of a family. And if you have to step out of the front line for a moment and speak with someone who's in the same uniform that you're in and get out of the stress and the pressure for just a moment and have someone else to pray with you, someone else to open up, you're not meant to take on the fight by yourself. Or you will crack, just as soldiers and warriors crack under the battle pressure, you will eventually do the same spiritually. And what I want you to know, it's not just for me, it's even for every last one of us in this room. At some point, everyone here has fallen prey to one of those three attacks of Satan. And if you say no, you are lying. Because the truth is, at some point, our affections can turn to something else. Our attention can be consumed by something else. At some point, if the battle lasts long enough, we'll begin to question the love or the power of the Father and the relationship of the Father. If last long enough, at some point, we'll begin to even wonder if we're worthy to call ourselves a child of God. And so let me just clear this for us as we move forward in the next six weeks. You're told to put on the armor of God to go into battle. To go into battle. Nowhere in here does it say that you win the battle. You don't win the battle. There are times when you may have lost this. There are times when you may have absolutely taken a beating and you're wondering if you're even worthy of being in the ranks. But that isn't what's important. What's important is that you keep this on, you lock arms with your brothers and sisters, and you keep taking turf. That's the point. You won't win the battle. You aren't strong enough to win the battle. You are told to get into the fight. You are told to, to armor up and hook it on with the spiritual forces of this world. But the victory is Jesus. The one who wins the war is Jesus. The true warrior is Jesus. In Revelation 19, the account of him coming back is exactly that of a conquering warrior, a conquering king, that which looks like one of these guys, but far more uh, terrorizing than anything we could even imagine to his enemies. He is the one that will take the victory. Our role is to fill the ranks and to engage and engage and engage. And if you get cut up and you get beat up a little bit, get back up and engage. The one thing you don't do is step away forever. Take it all off and turn and, and be done with it. Because here's the beauty of it, right? Because some of us are worried. Some of us I know in this room have kids and grandkids and nieces and nephews. Some of you have kids that took this off a long time ago and are like, I'm done. Right? And they're running the opposite direction of the conflict. And I just want to remind you, you have a warrior king who while your kid, your grandkid, your niece, your nephew, your own sibling, your spouse, while they may have turned around and are running, there's a big difference between them and Jesus. Jesus never gets tired. Jesus pursues people. 
And even if you were wondering if the people that you love have committed absolute treason against the armor of God, the power and the difference between Jesus, the warrior king, and all others that you would ever hear about, that could ever be God, he pursues even what is lost in spite of itself. This is the power and the mercy and the grace of God. So wear this and wear it boldly and wear it with confidence. It's not always easy to put this on. It'll never be socially acceptable. Sometimes you may grow weary and uncertain if you can take another step. But that's where you lock arms with the people in this room and take another step and take another step and take another step. And when you feel the crushing weight of the enemy, understand that Jesus Christ, the warrior king, has won the war and he will ultimately take care of the foe and the enemy that is before you. You, people of pilgrim, children of God, stand firm in confidence and engage in the fight. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, Jesus. We thank you for your power. God, some of us may be really, really battle-weary. We're beginning to question if we even belong in the army of God. Some of us are just wondering, when are the challenges and the trials going to stop or going to end? God, some of us have been dealing with our own personal front, and we've been dealing with this all alone, maybe even most of our lives. God, you tell us the power of community, the power of being able to, to share and to pray and to do life with one another, to encourage one another to walk and to move forward. And Jesus, when it seems overwhelming, like we're going to be overcome by all of hell and Satan himself, God, may we cling that you are the warrior king, that you will vanquish our enemies, that you will have power and victory where at times we wonder if it's absolute defeat. So we love you, Jesus, and we thank you for your grace. Amen.